Hi, I'm Kevin Doolan, Director of Innovation in the Walton Institute, and you're listening to the Innovation Insight Podcast. This podcast, moderated by David Ryan, looks at future energy sharing, communities and the cloud from an Irish and an EU perspective. It is three talks with Q&A at the end. In the first, Sean Lyons from the Walton Institute talks about how energy communities can enable the smart grid in Ireland. Next, Frederick Eichs from Belgium talks about energy communities with an EU perspective. And finally, Jonathan Santum talks about energy communities from a utilities perspective. Hello everyone, my name is David Ryan and um, I'm going to be moderating this session today. Um, I'd like to welcome you all here um, on behalf of the TASG and the um, presenters. Uh, the title of today's uh, webinar is Future Energy Sharing Communities and the Cloud from an Irish and EU perspective. And um, what I would ask you all to do is to uh, make sure you're muted for starters. If you have any questions to ask, um, just use the, the hand up feature. It's on the, on the bottom of your client, uh, of your um, Zoom client. And um, I will have a look at the end. Um, so each talk will be about 10 or 15 minutes long. And what we will have is a discussion at the end and we'll see how many questions uh, we can get answered at the end. Okay, so um, our first speaker today is um, Sean Lyons from the TSSG. And Sean is going to speak about how energy communities can enable the smart grid in Ireland. So Sean, I will uh, stop sharing my screen and let you um, take over, okay? Okay, thanks Dave. Uh, you can see my screen? Yeah, perfectly. Okay, great. Okay, thanks, Dave. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, Sean Lyons here, and I, uh, I'm involved in um, a number of smart grid energy peer-to-peer uh, -peer cluster sharing uh, type projects in uh, in the TSSG, and I'm going to today going to discuss um, primarily two of them. Uh, first one is Pisces, and Pisces is not so much about uh, energy communities, but the technology that we've developed in Pisces uh, is enabling um, Reg Energy, and Reg Energy is bringing that out. So basically, Pisces is very much a behind-the-meter uh, technology, predicting and optimizing to allow to uh, integrate renewables and um, optimize them with uh, time-of-use tariffs and, um, and uh, renewable energy on site. Uh, but Reg Energy brings uh, that similar type technology out behind the meter and is looking at the EU directives that have come out in the Renewable Energy Directive and uh, uh, the uh, uh, Electricity Market Directives. And just say both are um, both are Interreg projects and funded by uh, funded by Interreg. Uh, uh, one is uh, Pisces is, is an Ireland Wales project and Reg Energy is a Northwest Europe. Uh, project. So very quickly, I'll just expl quickly explain the technology as, uh, as it applies to Pisces and then how, that, how that's brought into Reg Energy and how it enables energy communities. So um, I'm just uh, change my pointer here. So basically, we're very much focused in Pisces on uh, large industrial sites that have a high degree of flexibility in their load. And what we mean by flexibility is um, that they, they have the potential to uh, ramp up or ramp down their loads, but still maintain their processes uh, within constraints. So uh, probably the easiest example to explain in that is, 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 a, is a cold store where they're, they're keeping frozen products, usually food, uh, can be fish, can be uh, frozen foods, whatever. And uh, historically those cold stores are kept at around minus 22, minus 23, and kept that way 24 seven. But you can still keep the, the product integrity good uh, uh, but have a, a larger band on that. So we've done a lot of testing uh, and profiling of those cold stores such that we now can vary the band between minus 18 to minus 25. Now you can go a little warmer or a bit colder, but your, your return on investment then starts to diminish. So we've done a lot of profiling what the, uh, what the energy input and what the time and what the temperature changes are within, that, within, within those changes. You do that because the on the market side here, um, the price of energy changes every half hour on, on the on the on the intraday market and every hour on the on the day ahead market. So that you also you have a, a picture on the day ahead market of what your your energy pricing is going to be in the next 24, 36 hours. 
As part of that, we've also built a, a, a prediction model for renewable energy. So if you've got solar on your roof or wind, uh, we have a, picture, a, a prediction of what your energy output at your site is likely to be over the next 24, 36 hours. Uh, based on weather forecasting and a lot of other things. And the Pisces system then optimizes all those prediction algorithms and, and ramps up and ramps down the cold store uh, to suit. Okay, So very quickly, again, this is like the front end of Pisces, and there's a lot going on in this top graph. But if you just picture, focus on the blue line here, the blue line is, is the day ahead uh, pricing for on the, on, the, on the market. So the prices change from maybe 5, 6 cents during the night going up to 21, 22 cents during the day and, and staying there and going back down again. So the bottom graph is what we're doing to the cold store, and we've, we've narrowed it down to making the cold store very cold, bringing it to minus 25, maintaining it around center at minus 22, or actually switching it off. So what we would have done during the night, and this, this peak here is just a defrost, which you have to go through once every 24 hours to make sure there's no ice buildup on the coolers, but we obviously made the, the cold store very cold ahead of this price peak here, and we were able to switch it off from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. And as you can see, we rerun the algorithm every hour to make sure that the predicted temperature uh, is very, very close to the, to the actual temperature. So we read at uh, five to the hour, every hour, what the actual temperature is. If it's within the uh, uh, error scope, uh, and you can see here the blue and the purple lines are very, very close. So we're predicting that we can get to four o'clock and miss this price peak here uh, before actually making a call again, which changes the temperature. And then we switch off again uh, because... Uh, we can still maintain it at that temperature and we're still bringing it to midnight at, at around midpoint of the temperature. So we're getting, you know, significant savings on that and it's, and it's all quite, uh, quite positive, very positive from a Pisces point of view. So this is kind of the current landscape and I just want to bring that in now towards energy communities and bring it out behind the meter. So, you know, a lot, a lot of what we're trying to do is, is, uh, make sh is to enable and facilitate the integration of renewable energy at distributed uh, sites. A lot of renewable energy like wind farms and solar parks are, 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 are integrated uh, and you're getting a lot of you know, nimbyism that people don't want it in their own backyard. But the whole energy uh, EU directives are now uh, focused on bringing the communities to the centre of these so they feel part of, of the process, they have an ownership of the process and therefore the, uh, their acceptance of them in their local communities uh, would hopefully change. So again, with an industrial client, obviously, um, for him to integrate renewables at his, at his site, um, whether it's a cold store or whatever, um, you've got to, you've, at the moment, you've got to uh, design that to suit their base load. And a lot of the uh, customers uh, that you deal with have a lot of seasonality uh, and intermittency to their loads. So they might be very busy in the winter and not so busy in the summer. So to encourage them to put more renewable energy in at their site, they have to have a mechanism to be able to spill this onto the grid um, uh, when they have more than they need. But the, you can do that in the Irish context now and, and most European contexts and be known as what's called an auto producer. But the return on investment of it is quite small. So obviously what you're paying for the energy when you buy it is much more expensive for what you're getting for when you spill it. So therefore people usually go back to this, uh, to this scenario where they just have a small amount to suit their uh, their base load and in most cases it's uh, because of seasonality and other elements like risk it's not worth their while so they don't they don't do it at all okay so this is where we're looking to go then uh, with 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 reg energy um, again picking that single site behind the meter uh, that may have some flexibility in their loads and if it does that the Pisces optimization can work behind the meter there and again, if they have renewable energy on site, uh, it can be optimized into their load with the day, with the day and market tariffs coming, coming from the grid. But to incentivize them to put more renewable energy on, there's going to be times when they're going to spill, have to spill that onto the, onto the grid. Okay? But the, in, in, from an electrical point of view, those electrons will flow to the nearest to the site next door. Uh, so if you can picture that there's... Um, uh, you're in an, um, an industrial park that there might be 15 or 20 or 50 companies in that, or it could be an office block that has, again, 10 or 15, 15 offices. So um, as part of the Reg Energy project, we're working closely with our sub-partners in, uh, in Udras and Gaeltachte. And Udras have a number of uh, uh, industrial parks and assets and uh, office, office buildings uh, in, in various areas in Ireland. And um, so we focus focused on uh, two trial sites in the Dingle area where Udras and Gaeltachte have, uh, have uh, assets. 
One is an office block with about 12 different offices in it. Uh, it currently has solar on its roof and we're in the process of integrating a renewable or a battery system also there. Uh, the second site is also in Dingle and uh, belongs to Udross and it's an industrial park with maybe 15 to 20 companies in it. So what we've done is we're, we're integrating smart uh, metering systems at all of those sites uh, as I'm with a comm system to have uh, instant access to that data which facilitates us and allows us to build an energy model of each of the sites. So some of them may have flexible loads, some may not, but we still have an energy model of what that site is likely to do in the next 24, 36 hours. As I mentioned earlier, we have an, a renewable energy model to predict how much, um, how much energy we have. And then you can, when this person spills, um, and potentially what we're looking at with these EU directives that I mentioned earlier, that peer-to-peer -peer sharing uh, will be enabled and will allow these companies to come together to start sharing energy, okay? And once we build a model of each individual site, then what we can do is we can aggregate that up to get an, uh, uh, an aggregation of what the cluster's low profile is going to look like. So company A might be very busy in the winter and company B might be very busy in the summer or this company doesn't work at weekends or whatever. But what we, what we will have based on, on a half hour basis is an energy profile for the whole cluster based over, over, uh, over the next 24, 36 hours. What that allows us to do then is rather than each individual site maybe having to invest in its own renewables, that potentially this energy community can come together as a cluster and design a, a renewable energy system to suit the whole cluster as a whole. Okay, so here, this guy was taking all the risk because the, the energy renewable energy was for, was for him only, whereas for a cluster, potentially, it can be for the whole cluster together. And as I say, that can be 12 offices, it can be 50 companies or whatever. And our focus is very much uh, um, doing this in a local way. So it's, it's not that you're trying to uh, have a, a, an energy community with, with, uh, with companies that are geographically well dispersed. These are all going to be behind one substation in, an, in one industrial park or in one office block. Okay? Obviously, then you need what's called an ESCO, a supply company that will, will trade with the market on their behalf, but will also, um, will also trade the flows of energy between them. And the uh, smart metering systems on all ins and outs uh, will, will facilitate this. So that's where the rate energy optimization will then sit. Uh, so you, you, you'll have a cluster view of what the, what the, what the aggregated energy uh, flows are like. You'll have uh, a single site view uh, and, and they'll be able to see, uh, you know, is the design of this working out in principle? Should there, should we, could we have more renewables? Do we have to up the batteries? And we obviously, you can, you can ramp up and down your batteries to suit, to try and economically make the best use of time of use tariffs, uh, renewable energy, and, uh, and flows between. Okay. So um, I won't go through this slide in detail other than to say that obviously uh, the renewable energy directives coming from, and the energy market directive coming from uh, the EU is extremely important as, it's, as it gives us a legislative and a regulatory framework to, to start to allow to do that. So the stuff we're dealing with and other Reg Energy partners, including Flux50, who, who will be speaking directly after us, you know, deal, uh, you know issues like proximity, uh, confined boundaries, peer-to-peer uh, you know, -peer energy being, being allowed, uh, sharing of energy within the same building and the charges that are applied to that, and also you know, joint, uh, jointly acting renewable self-consumers that you know, it's, 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 it's giving the framework to allow the energy sharing between them. The key question will be, uh, okay, you can, you can enable that energy sharing, but what will be the charges and the tariffs uh, and the rules and the mechanisms that allow you to do that around that? So we're, we're in that process now. Uh, those uh, directives are due to come into force really in 2021 uh, next year. So each jurisdiction, each uh, regulator in each jurisdiction is, is, is working with this. And uh, we are working closely with our regulator here and uh, hopefully the data and the results that come out of the trials we're doing will help them to make, a, to make them an, an informed decision. So that leads up then to will you be you know, a renewable self-consumer, which is RSE, or a JA is a jointly acting one. It could, it could be a mechanism called a renewable energy community. Uh, it could be a citizen energy community. Uh, so there's a number of mechanisms there that this can potentially fall into, okay? Uh, just very quickly to say, our trial sites, I mentioned, they're both in Dingle. This is the office block uh, in Uderos, and as I mentioned, they have solar on the roof here. It's very hard to see. Uh, they have uh, about 12 offices internally. Um, we work closely with ESB Networks, the, uh, the, the, the DSO, and we you know we know what the capacity is and stuff on the lines coming in here. But basically, the overhead line comes to here. It goes underground under the car park to this one single transformer that feeds into a plant room. 
and the plant room then has uh, all 12 meters together. So potentially if we had more solar on the roof, uh, we're going to integrate a battery into that system and uh, uh, you know, hopefully uh, it'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll be the first uh, virtual peer-to-peer -peer trial that we know certainly on, on, a, on an industrial uh, level in Ireland. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, the data we, we, we have and we get from the trials will, will enable those decisions. The system will also allow us then to, as I said, when we design the, um, the renewable energy system, you can, you can simulate that if you had more renewable energy or you had more battery or the loads change. So it allows you to, to very accurately uh, design a renewable energy system to suit the cluster. And then again, if you know if one company leaves that cluster or, or another com com company adds to the cluster, uh, you could, the, the, the simulation will allow us to, 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 to change the, uh, the cluster design. The second one then is, is in Balnebook, also the industrial park owned by Udaras uh, which again is served by one uh, master, uh, one substation out here with some uh, 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 so other substations within it. But all of those companies are fed from this major substation here. Uh, currently, no re renewable energy on site there. Yes, but yes, but the uh, the system hopefully will allow us to design that. And depending then on what the decisions are by the regulators as to what, if any, uh, um, support schemes will be uh, put in place for it, or whether any of the charges will be relaxed or whatever. But our obviously our, our we're we're talking to them about all the advantages that that this brings uh, to you know to. Uh, to supply and demand, the balance in, in, in uh, supply and demand balance in, in various areas. So this is now what we hope to see is the future landscape with, with uh, Reg Energy at the centre of that. That you know you can build up clusters of, of companies uh, that that are behind a single substation or, or 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 a master substation, and that those companies may have their own renewable energy. They may have flexible load, but that you're using um, uh, you're using this intelligence. So the Reg Energy optimization will allow those who were consumers now to become prosumers and give them the control and intelligence to allow them to do that. Potentially then, um, depending on rules and everything else, that that cluster may be able to design its own uh, renewable energy system to suit the low profiles that they have. And then beyond that, those clusters can potentially trade with other clusters and with the grid and, you know, start rolling up to, you know, to, to really uh, provide a balancing service uh, to rural regions and urban areas. That is very quickly. I've probably gone over time, Dave, but that's uh, very quickly what, what, what we're doing. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all, Sean. So um, next we have Frederick Oates from uh, Belgium, from Flux 50. And um, Frederick's presentation is on energy communities and peer-to-peer -peer sharing on an EU perspective. Uh, so I can see you're already sharing your screen. So... Um, Whenever you're ready. Okay, thank you. Um, as uh, Sean said, I'm uh, Frederick Lux. I'm responsible for Flux 50, which is a cluster organization in uh, Flanders, mm -hmm. also part of that uh, Reg Energy uh, Interact project, in which we are driving uh, yeah, a similar case, which we call the Green Energy Park, in which we try to connect uh, a data center. Uh, which is uh, powered by uh, a lot of uh, renewables, so windmills as well as photovoltaics. Uh, and with that intermittent uh, nature is also powering uh, the business park itself, which is around uh, 80 companies on it. Uh, Sean has been talking a lot about electricity, but we also try to do as part of the Reg Energy project is to reuse the heat, the low temperature heat of the data center in order to uh, have a low temperature very low temperature heat network, uh, powering the companies, but as well a residential area which is nearby. Um, during the, my presentation, I will be more focusing not on the technical things, but more on the legislative uh, part of, uh, of, the, of the action. In the sense that uh, Sean already hinted to it, that uh, we have uh, on a European directive, we have the citizen energy communities and renewable energy co communities, which needs to be trans into regional law or national law by the end of uh, 2020, starting 2021. And what the European Commission thought, and was this was their initial view, was that the renewable energy community is yeah, something like a citizen energy community, but more narrowly defined. But what we see in practice, and it's, uh, it's not that clear, and that there is a big distinction between citizen energy communities 
based on one hand renewable energy communities. In renewable energy communities, it can go, um, it can be everything which is renewable as well electricity as heat, while in a citizen energy community, only electricity can be uh, considered. A citizen energy community, on the other hand, shouldn't necessarily be renewable. So you can even have a citizen energy community in which you, for example, have a nuclear plant involved as long as the citizen is the driving force behind the energy community. So where the commission had the intention to have a very clear and well-defined uh, view, as uh, often happens when you start lobbying, uh, in the end, they, they had two different schemes for which it was not always that obvious how to translate them into regional legislation. So in the end, they came up with, uh, instead of uh, circles, they come up with the triangles in which they, which they said, okay, that renewable energy community is somewhat like, like a citizen energy community, but not entirely the same. And they presented different options to the member states in order to translate that, uh, that typical model into own legislation. And what they said is, okay, the simplest way to do it is just to do box ticking. Uh, you have the renewable energy community, you translate it into your own legislation for renewable energy communities. You have the citizen energy community, you translate it into your own legislation. And okay, you can check the boxes. You're in line with what we ask as Europe and every, everybody's living happily after. Uh, what we unfortunately see is that this is exactly the case which is uh, happening, for example, in Flanders, uh, which makes that, okay, we are in line with what is minimally required from the European Commission, but in the end, there is not much happening. Uh, in this sense, that what we are uh, trying to, to argue for is more like a liberal approach, uh, both the uh, the presentation that uh, Sean did as the one that I am now uh, also involved in in Flanders, for example, includes a lot of companies. Uh, companies are not considered to be citizens. Uh, also, renewable energy communities are limited to uh, medium-sized enterprises when you're detective. So we definitely want to advocate a national model in which we say that, okay, we also introduce a concept like local energy communities also companies and uh, other uh, actors can be part of such an energy community because the way uh, they produce energy and their cons uh, consumption profile is typically also very, very uh, yeah, in line with what, for example, a residential area is, uh, is asking for. So at least we, we advocate that most of the, of the member states should really implement also a national model uh, next to the requirements of those uh, citizen and, en and renewable energy communities. Another uh, concept that has been launched by European Commission is the National Golden Standard, which they say that, okay, for very specific cases, you can even go uh, more specific and get more um, uh, exemptions for, let's say, uh, legislation for those very few uh, energy communities that are even exceeding the Renewable Energy Directive. And then they also introduce the concept of regulatory sandbox in which such a national golden standard uh, can be tested out. Um, another concept, what, they, what the European Commission would really like to see happen is that it's ambitious and simple in this sense that um, the renewable energy community and the citizen energy community should be able to be translated into one piece of legislation. Uh, now, I can tell you that uh, the Flemish government and also the Walloon government has uh, done some uh, trials to do so, but given the difference in the in concepts which is inside renewable energy community and the citizen energy community, it's not obvious how to do such an ambitious and simple uh, legislative action. You can see that a lot of different kinds of energy communities are uh, emerging. Uh, time is a little bit lacking to explain, to give some ideas of different of those uh, different energy communities. But at least what we find out is that it's very difficult to have one piece of legislation handling all those different context, uh, contexts and different concepts of uh, energy communities. 
So in the end, what we end up with is uh, a lot of tailor-made uh, situations in Europe um, of different kinds. And it's also a situation which is uh, changing almost every day. So when we take a look at, uh, at how uh, things like energy communities and collective self-consumption are being translated into different uh, regions, we can see that when you talk about collective self-consumption, uh, there is already a lot going on in the different member states. But when it comes to energy communities, most of the member states are still in the early phases of uh, translating that, uh, that piece of uh, legislation. Um, when you take a look at uh, one of the most uh, progressive uh, uh, states that are implementing it, you can take a look at uh, Switzerland, which was very early in, uh, in translating that uh, directive into national uh, law. But when you take a look at uh, what they actually implemented, Switzerland is a very specific case. Um, they have a very easy task. They are not unbundled. They are, have no free choice of supplier. So we also have a Swiss, uh, Swiss consortium member into Red Energy and we discuss with them. We see it's very difficult to translate that uh, best practice of uh, Switzerland into other member states. Um, this comparison comes from a European project, the Compile project. Uh, instead of going to dive deep into it, you can easily uh, retrieve that, uh, that piece of uh, yeah, trying to, um, to assemble the different uh, legislation, legislative actions in, uh, in Europe. And what we see is that uh, there is a European research uh, network the ERANET Smart Energy Systems, who is uh, driving a new initiative in order to get also in 2020 an updated view on where the uh, legislation in different uh, member states is heading to. But that legislation is, all, is only a part of the total, uh, the total complex puzzle that we need to put into place. Because a question that uh, we see often popping up as well with residential people as well as with companies is what's in it for me. And then we see that you can have a very good uh, legislative system like France, but if you don't have an incentive system which is in line with the goals that you want to achieve, it becomes very difficult. And there you also have the Council of European Energy Regulators. Uh, it's not only about the DSOs, it's also about the energy regulators who do the regulation of the tariff, of the tarification, uh, and that will, they will play a very different, uh, very important role in uh, creating that business case or killing that business case within the European Union. Um, what is a little bit uh, in favor there, and this is, as you can see, the date is, is brand new. It's a, a, a communication from the European Commission, which was, uh, which is from yesterday. Um, they created a, a vision on how system integration should be uh, considered within Europe. And what you can see here as one of the key actions inside the document is to issue guidance to the member states to address the high charges and levies borne by electricity and to ensure the consistency of non-energy price com components across energy carriers. So there will be a revision of the energy taxation directive and very probably they will also take into account the concept of energy communities, both citizen uh, renewable and perhaps also local energy uh, communities into that revision of the taxation directive. Another thing is that they're also uh, reinvestigating the state aid directive, uh, which would allow to give more incentives to energy communities if we are able to get those kinds of concepts taken up in that uh, state aid regulation. So in the end, I think that there are coming some very promising uh, actions and that we can see some future for uh, uh, energy communities. But I also want to warn a little bit with it. And I also always use the Gartner hype cycle there. Uh, what we can see is that at this moment, the visibility of energy communities is very, very high and that we are seeing what we call a peak of uh, inflated expectations. So what we would like to see is that when we go through the trough of disillusionment, that we can get the best out of the projects that we are all driving and that we can convince the, 
the politicians that we want to achieve that plateau of productivity where we can really see what is the added value of energy communities and that we can have a very valuable place for them into the entire energy system. So that's what I wanted to transmit you in that very short time of 10 minutes, I have to say. I need to thank you for your attention. And if there are questions, I understood that we will take them at the end of the session. Thank you very much, uh, Frederick. Uh, very, very good um, presentation. And um, our next speaker, Derek, um, has been unable to make it. So um, we have uh, Jonathan Sandham. Uh, who is a consultant, and he's going to give us the energy communities from the utilities perspective. Um, after this, we will have a, a short um, Q and A, a short discussion. So, if you want to leave the, if you want to message me in the chat, uh, your questions or your um, your your wishes to ask a question, and we'll see how many we can fit in at the end. Uh, this um, is being recorded, so. Um, We'll, um, and the presentation will be shared afterwards. So whenever you're ready, Jonathan. Thanks very much, Dave. My audio is okay. Yeah, perfect, Jonathan. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Um, Thanks for, for attending today, everybody. Um, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Jonathan Sandham, as I mentioned. Um, and I suppose um, I was asked today to, to, to bring a perspective of um, how different utilities um, see community um, and, the, and the cloud um, uh, in the current state and the, as, as we will into the future. So as, as Fred and Sean have really rounded very, very well, um, there's a huge amount coming from uh, from a legislative um, perspective from Europe, um, and a lot of the 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 clarity that we'll develop over time in Ireland will be based on the locational um, element or the locational environment that we are specifically within the state of Ireland as in comparison to Europe. So, so it'll be interesting to see how different member states um, really approach uh, the, the 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 area of energy communities. Um, and there's two distinct ones have been identified today um, um, for, for today's discussion. Um, the renewable energy community um, is, is a really interesting concept, which is defined very clearly um, by Interreg and, and otherwise. Um, and it's a concept that is quite achievable today. And we've seen it a number of times throughout Ireland um, where people take a joint investment in what it was a community wind farm um, or otherwise, or a community solar farm um, and jointly produce, sell and distribute renewable energy. Um, potentially consume it. Um, there are some challenges around the distribution of it. So, so on a single site, it is possible and you can work within the existing mechanisms. However, when you, when you want multiple rooftops involved and, and whatnot, it, it, it presents some challenges. But um, I think the, the really interesting one and where, where, where Europe have moved into the citizen energy communities, this, this is the one that's really, really, really important for us to, to, to comprehend because it drives huge um, legislative um, regulation, uh, legislative requirements, a huge regulation change, um, but there's a, a massive technology uplift and and uh, and a, a massive requirement for the understanding um, of all entities currently in place in in the energy um, in the energy landscape from from the DSO and TSO across to existing generators and new entities be them aggregators or community platforms. Um, so within the 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 within the the publications from the from the, the commission um, you'll see that there's a the, the idea of a level playing field and proportionate regulations for communities um, and big big areas there that have to be understood and appreciated and documented um, at, 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 at a state-by-state -state level. Um, going down to, to the bottom, the most important one really is to the EU Parliament have actually guaranteed that energy communities can get their renewable energy into the market by keeping priority dispatch for small renewable installations. From a system perspective, um, if this is realized and when this is realized realistically in the, in the, in the bigger scale of things, it, it means that the TSO will have to operate the system in a totally different way to what they do today. Um, and I'd have to take into account um, probably nearly uh, the instruction sets that would be 
issued out through through the market systems and otherwise um, will be will be very very complex um, and will be far more f fetching than they currently are today when you look at DSUs and whatnot. So we've heard um, every actor within the energy ecosystem spoken about today um, and we all talk about a holistic vision of, of, of energy. However, it, it's, it's really a multifaceted energy system that we have. Um, so, so you see the utility rate and regulators have a view of the world as they look into the energy system and a view of the market and, and, the, and really grapple in this new world to understand the, the, all of the complexities and the realities of how do we best facilitate energy futures um, for Ireland um, and for, for, for further afield into Europe and into, into across the world. Um, you have your supply entities who have a view of the world um, on, on what, the, what they want to contribute and what they want to take out of it. There's the market mechanisms themselves in place and then you have communities and prosumers that will be enabled in the future really by platforms and aggregators or so systems that allow them to interact from a technical perspective into the markets. Um, and each person has a, has a, or each actor in, the, in this uh, complex system has a different view and a different want um, and a different risk profile um, as to what they're safeguarding, um, assets that are mid-cycle mid through a 50-year cycle um, or, or new endeavors that um, somebody wants to, to create a new platform that will um, create revenue uh, streams for, for an entity or maybe driven to, to reduce carbon um, intensity on the grid or to, to create greener credentials for somebody or something. Flipping over just to kind of the traditional utility view um, I suppose that the, the main drivers for, for any system operator um, or any existing entity that has generation on the system, I suppose that they're, they're aiming to really understand and make sure that there is a maintained security in the grid infrastructure and the grid system. So, so the lights, touch wood, um, are absolutely, um, you know, they're on um, or, or uptime. And if you said in, in the communications world or in, in the non-traditional the non utility sector, it, your, your SLA for, 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 for electricity in Ireland is really, really good. And we want to maintain that in the future, even when we get out into the, the, this new world of peer-to-peer -peer and distributed energy. The efficiency of the system overall is 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 quite good at the moment. Um, the, there's a want there to decarbonize, but decarbonize by by making sure we keep that efficiency and security. There's obviously for for some entities a, a financial aspect to this, and most entities are financial. But for system operators, there's also an onus to 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 take an economic view um, of 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 the big picture, um, and and not necessarily just look at the, the the euro value of an asset over time, but look at the economic benefit of of, of change, um, and anybody that has a, a large asset base, I suppose there's a huge um, appreciation there on, on risk and asset risk and uh, your, your appetite for risk to move into something that isn't a traditional asset, but is more a technology or a, a, softer, a softer type of, um, a, a softer concept than a, a physical asset on the ground or in the air. Um, so to date, utilities have kept the lights on um, they've done a really good job at um, being economical um, and have ensured that the provision and supply of the service that we all see to, and use today um, is, is, is given to us in, in, in a, a transparent way through market mechanisms um, and in a, in a competitive way. So, so when we talk about peer-to-peer -peer and these new concepts, what does it actually mean to a utility? Um, it's a new set of unknowns. Um, it's a new set of requirements that have to be facilitated. So the market mechanisms we speak of and the, the ability for real-time information to, to move around between metering um, and for, for, for people to settle with people, all of that is new. Um, and there's an, a need for a utility to understand what needs to be put in place from a, a systems and a process and, and, a, and, and a rules or regulations perspective. Um, and also appreciate when uh, what, what does it look like and when can it be done? So, so what, what are realistic timelines to be able to create this change and reflect it back in the market systems out over time? Um, 
and these these peer-to-peer -peer concepts um, also create new services um, and opportunities for utility, um, which will either replace an existing business unit, replace an existing concept of a, of of a, of a wire, an alternative to a wire or a transformer or an asset, um, or it could it could also present further enhancements. Um, so so new things that will thwart the need to invest in the future. So new solutions there in those areas. So it's, it's, it's actually avoidance of investment in the future. And how, how those are monetized or, or are appreciated and actually um, selected in time is all very, very new as well. So, so the, the, the mechanisms for a utility to understand that um, and that change um, is, is really, really um, important um, to, to make sure that it actually happens and it's the right thing to, to happen, but also it's, it's a huge, huge lift for all utilities globally um, to, to, to really appreciate. Um, and it, it brings you back to, well, well, who are the utilities in this case in Ireland? So, so you're really looking at the TSO and the TSO market is currently global. So I'm looking for um, the likes of Climo to switch off a, a, a substantial amount of immersion heaters um, around the country and isn't that lovely. However, when you look at a, a utility from an ESB networks perspective, I may be looking at a street worth of electric, um, of electric loads, be them vehicle to grid chargers or otherwise to switch off. So it's very specific locations. So you're looking at totally different market mechanisms then. So where you're looking at one at a TSO level, you may be looking at just a zonal level, um, but the local markets for a DSO then are become far more prevalent and far more dispersed, therefore far more complex. Um, and if you if you look at the simple um, the simple concept of just a joint investment, I suppose in the generation side of things, if you look at any of the the the, the, the generation owners in, in the country, it's really it's really just joint enter, joint ventures, um, virtual virtual PPAs, um, or or maybe just a, a, an exercise from a banking perspective, nearly outside of the market, outside of outside of the energy um, ecosystem altogether. That that these can be facilitated. So it. it it's, it's it's totally different things to to all of the different actors is probably what I'm trying to get across. Okay, the key areas to 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 appreciate um, there's technical and energy. Um, so so the, the the energy requirements that that utilities and the, mainly system operators really, really need to understand um, and get insight from in the future from peer-to-peer from -peer aggregators and communities. Really, the activity that is um, proposed um, to understand the market that will allow it to happen. Um, but if it's a support, what is the nature of the support? Is it kilowatt hours? Is it VARs? Is it, is it voltage? Um, is it non-wire alternatives? Um, is it load reduction or increase on a seasonal basis? Or what, it, what exactly are we talking about? And Sean, Sean did very well there, I think, kind of highlighting exactly, exactly those, those, those areas at the beginning. Um, we, we in Ireland need to, to understand the, the, the generation or demand profile, that, which can be uh, reduced or increased. Um, again, back to Sean's presentation, that was really clearly given and shown within the, the, the interface, the user interfaces. Um, we need to appreciate whether it's at a zone level, um, at a national level or at a nodal level down uh, again at a street by street or behind a specific point in the network um, or behind a meter. Um, dates, times and seasonal availability are huge. Um, so so when, when can this be done um, and how, how can this tool be used within, within, within a, a utilities um, work belt, we'll say. Um, and then finally, the, the, the price, um, the price of that, um, what, what somebody is willing to, to allow uh, flexibility to, to happen with the, for what price it, uh, it's allowed to happen. But also the, the environmental impact um, will become very, very um, important within the market. So the CO2 equivalent, um, the delta in particulates from an air quality perspective, uh, again, going back to date and time and seasonality, that could be huge and just air quality in general. Uh, so they're, they're just, I suppose it's just a tip of the iceberg on some of the things that be relevant in markets, um, but at a technical level to make all of this happen, it's not just a kilowatt hour and a meter anymore. You're talking about VARs, voltage, VAR hours, 
financial uh, impact to the consumer. So, so as uh, we'd see, the, say the Pisces platform is um, is is preparing a lovely um, trade for 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 the market or uh, facilitating uh, flexibility for the market. There's also financial impacts on the bottom line of the business from from the refrigeration point of view that had to be taken into account there as well. Um, in capital letters here is reliability. Um, all of these flexibility services are being used to um, avoid um, investment into a traditional type of asset um, within any of the utilities. Um, and if the reliability isn't up there with the, 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 the traditional asset, then there's a risk associated with using the service as opposed to just putting in one of those assets. Um, An integration type. Um, so is it is it via the cloud? Is it connected to a SCADA EMS system directly? Um, and how how do how does all that signaling happen? Um, adaptation over time. So so how how is this adopted? And will will it actually will the the, the facilitation of the flexibility disappear over time? Which people see with with say smart thermostats and stuff like that over time. The rate the likes of Nest the rate of um, compliance with the user drops off over time and will that will that affect the services that can be sold into the market and onto onto utilities um what do, was committed to a utility as as from from a supplier or a community versus what actually happened um and the integrity of this how do you how do you actually uh, ensure that when somebody says they'll turn it off that they've actually turned it off how do you meter it um, and on top of all of that um, i suppose is a, a comprehension then of all of these platforms lie inside in the cloud, in Azure, in AWS or in Google Cloud Platform. Um, how do we connect them all together? How do we do cloud to cloud? Um, how is it all certified, secured, and the integrity of it all? So in closing, and very quickly, and apologies if I've, if I've run over Dave, um, it, it's a huge evolving area. Um, with a time-bound delivery date on, on the, we'll say, the, the, the regulative side of it. Um, and the legislative side of it. Very, very complex relationships between communities, um, technology suppliers, utilities, markets, and all other entities. Um, the requirement to facilitate um, is there. So, so every system operator and utility will have to facilitate at the European level. But the big opportunity here, and it is an opportunity, and hopefully it's seen that way by, by across Europe by all utilities, is that if it's incorporated, it could be a really, really um, opportunistic um, tool to 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 leverage um, to move away from traditional assets and, and avoid incurring the cost of traditional assets in the new future um, and I suppose it, it'll only be successful if we can all find a single form of delivery so if we can all come around the table um, and 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 work together around a number of, of projects that are complementary or, or, or otherwise um, huge opportunity for a lot of people to get this right um, but we have to be remain respectful of the, the people who have probably been in the energy picture for the longest it, it is actually a huge risk if we get it wrong and it's viewed that way um, so so you 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 see hesitance and you 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 see um, a lot of um, good thorough questioning but it's founded because beneath it all everybody just wants to get it right and that okay. is myself. Thank you, Dave. Perfect. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, another um, good talk. So what I would like to do is I'd like to uh, open the floor for questions, uh, please, and just add them to the, um, to the, to the chat. And um, we have a question uh, first off from Enda Hogan. So if you want to... Um, on your video and ask uh, your question, that's okay. Hey folks, I hope you can hear me there okay. Um, the question I was just putting really for any of the speakers is whether you see a role for local authorities um, in supporting any of these, whether they be the citizen energy communities or the renewable energy communities. And I'm thinking of examples, say, in, in other member states or other regions where maybe local authorities, uh, I looked at one in Germany where they, the local authorities co-invested in renewable energy projects 
and then transferred ownership to uh, citizens through uh, citizen municipal energy cooperatives. Um, or or even uh, the other example would be in, in say, in Poland, where they, uh, local authorities invested in renewable energy projects themselves to meet their own needs, almost as auto producers. And then obviously there's a spillover then to the community. Thanks. Yeah, I can uh, maybe try and take that in there from uh, from an Irish perspective. Anyway, uh, yeah, obviously the uh, the uh, the EU directives are almost written to to uh, almost ensure that local authorities can be involved. Um, obviously, they're very anxious to uh, bring the community in as a whole, and you know, obviously, local authorities have a remit uh, now to to. Uh, to improve their uh, sustainability. So certainly from an Irish viewpoint, um, it hasn't happened yet because obviously it's, these renewable energy communities and citizen energy communities are, are, are a new concept. But we have in Ireland, um, you know, the Better Energy Communities, which is run by Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, SEAI. And, you know, there's a thought process there that that potentially could be, you know, rolled up uh, to, uh, to incorporate these new these new concepts and uh, as I said in the, in the EU directives, uh, local authorities are, you know, they're encouraged to be part of that. Uh, you might have a better uh, EU view than, than I would, Frederick, but uh, that's certainly I would take as the Irish, uh, the Irish viewpoint. No, I, it's definitely one of the wishes of the European Commission that uh, the energy system should be as close to the, the local uh, actors as possible and the local communities are definitely part of it. Um, what we see happening also in, uh, in the Flemish region is that uh, when it comes to permitting, for example, that uh, the cities and local communities are uh, really asking that it should be a citizen-driven project. If it's not a citizen project, you will not be able to get the permit, the construction permit, for example. Uh, in other places, we see that uh, yeah, the cities are willing to co-invest um, into production units uh, and that's something then where we are waiting for the, yeah, the, the, the renewable energy uh, communities to, to come into place. But we, we definitely see that there is a, a huge opportunity for local, uh, local, for local uh, communities. Um, one thing we often also forget is that uh, an energy community starts with the word community. What we have found out is that it's definitely far easier to start from an existing community and have energy added to some community aspects that are already living. And in that sense, uh, when you have a business park, for example, you, you typically have an, an operator of a business park that's uh, an important uh, facilitator. But when it comes to the residential area, uh, we see that uh, the local communities are definitely a very important facilitator in order to uh, really create such uh, energy communities and that facilitating role cannot be neglected in a complex, a very complex uh, situation as Jonathan uh, uh, very clearly pointed out in a very complex situation with a lot of stakeholders. Uh, the local community is typically one of those parties which is able to bring all those around the table. Okay. Um, if I could Dave just on that as well, I, I think uh, just even looking at the housing stock and the and the building and the, the facilities and the asset that is there within local housing, it, it makes so much sense. Um, and from from my own engagements with uh, with a, a number of local authorities, there is an appetite there even before any of this has come out um, to understand and appreciate the, the 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 opportunity to retrofit over time and actually implement renewables at a behind the meter level so i imagine it will it, it, it will proliferate outwards um with with all of these new opportunities okay uh, we have a question from um noel ryan if you want to um jump on and ask yeah thanks david um appreciate that and I suppose that I'm reminded of the situation in, in maybe Germany and a number of other uh, countries that, that uh, unbundled the local hardware, I suppose. And I suppose the question is really around the extent to which local separately owned distribution network would assist in the proliferation of, you know, um, energy communities. 
the extent to which they'd enjoy owning their own piece of the network so that they could, you know, propagate their, the, the sale of their own, their own produced energy. Yeah, I can maybe start that, Noel, as best I can of what I know of what's happened. Uh, there is there is instances I know in, in Europe where uh, certainly for, for new builds, like uh, an area that might be a new housing complex or um, I think it's the Shunship uh, area, Frederick, you might you might know more, but uh, that that was a new uh, area where they actually built the um, the, uh, the distribution network uh, for their area, and they owned it from the very beginning. Um, I suppose certainly from an Irish perspective, um, you know the wires are already in the ground; the copper is already there uh, in most instances. So, yeah, I, I think this is possible in, in in new builds, but you know, from our our perspective, ESP networks are the the experts in uh, in the distribution of, 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 of energy and uh, you know obviously you know putting private wires in is it potentially doubling up now you know is, is it possible yes it is potentially uh, but I, in Ireland I, I you know I, 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 unless it's a brand new build I don't really see it but again Frederick you might know more of the, the private wire private network area in, in, on the EU side. Well, you, you do have private wires, but which is a, a different concept as the um, distribution networks as a whole. Um, I, there is, in certain areas, there is a role to play for local separately owned distribution networks. Uh, but we shouldn't forget that actually the, the grid we have now originated from a lot of those small uh, separately owned distribution networks. After the Second World War, everybody wanted to consolidate them into a larger system, where when you take a look at uh, the Flemish situation now, uh, we only have one DSO for the entire Flemish uh, region, which makes sense because we are very dense populated. When you take a look at the Austrian case, where you do have more than 300 uh, DSOs, the smallest DSO is actually just a farm with uh, seven or eight houses connected into a remote valley. Uh, so there you can ask yourself, is that really a DSO or is it a, yeah, a separately owned distribution network? So it typically depends on, on the area where you are in. I do see that, for example, in, in Flanders, there is almost no uh, possibility to create one. Uh, without uh, running into trouble with uh, the regulator or the, the existing DSO. Uh, when you go to the, the north of, uh, of Sweden and Finland, for example, I see that there is more, uh, let's say, uh, room for such a network uh, because, yeah, at this moment, they are typically still working with a diesel generator uh, with just connected to one or two houses. So it's, it's an entirely different situation. Jonathan, have you um, any input? I'm never short of a few words. I, I think it, it's a it's it's a it's a great question, Noel. Um, you look you look at the service that is delivered, um, and it kind of leans back to Frederick's um, position um, by a system operator to date and the distribution system operator, um, and 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 question well why why go private? Um, and the main reason you'll come out with is, is because we want to be able to create a, a different, slightly different market mechanism to allow allow the trading of energy. It, it they're two different things to me. Um, and if you can get your market agile enough um, that it can take a, that you can trade and you can share and whatnot on top of it, um, my view would be leave leave the pros at it, um, leave the DSO deliver the, the infrastructure. And if, if you can get your data flowing the right way on top of all of that, then, then the, market will, the market will be able to meet the needs. Um, otherwise you're, you're kind of, you're, you're putting in an asset um, for somebody else to manage and it's gonna go wrong at some point and uh, who's maintaining it, safety, uh, it, it gets really, it, it can get really messy when you run 10, 15 years into it. Well, um, if I can add to that one, what we see is that when there is an intention in Flanders to do such a thing, it's mostly from a tarification uh, perspective, which is not the good reason to do it. Uh, we had some private 
wires uh, with connections between windmills and then the the TSO network in which the, the the cable was operated by the windmill owner. And in the end, we see now the tendency that the DSO and the TSO are really acquiring the cable because they are more suited to do the maintenance of the cable as the wind, uh, windmill owner. So, yeah, from I totally agree with the DSO that if he tells me that when I find somebody who is better in putting copper and maintaining copper beneath the ground, that he has a problem. Um, and that one is really good. And just going for a better tarification scheme might or shouldn't be uh, the reason to put your own distribution network and just is uh, arguing for a wrong market design, actually, in my perspective. Okay, thank you very much, guys. Um, so I think if there are no more questions, um, I would like to thank the speakers, the presenters, people who asked the questions, and everybody for uh, attending um, this uh, very informative uh, webinar. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Innovation Insight podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast streaming services. For more information on the Walton Institute, check out our website at www.waltoninstitute.ie and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. Bye for now.